0: The degree, the
1: degree, the degree, the well, hello, FC Dallas Curious fans. Welcome to episode 99 of Third Degree, the podcast. I'm Buzz Carrick, Peter, and Dan are not with me today because today's another interview. So I'm just going to do a little bit of news at the front, and then we'll get right into the interview. Let me remind you that uh, Third Degree, the podcast, is brought to you by Soccer90. 25% off site-wide for all Third Degree podcast listeners with promo code Degree on Soccer90.com. That's 3-R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E. Just like the name of the podcast and the website and everything else, 25% off Soccer90.com. And it's entirely likely that uh, with the season right around the corner that you'll uh, see in the next couple weeks a new sponsor, new gear for the season, and you can get yourself some of that swag, hopefully, with our discount code and and get yourself decked out for the season. There's not a whole lot of news going on with FC Dallas these days because uh, they were set up to start the season, preseason, this week, so they pretty much have their roster in place. Now, they did move the transfer window a little bit. It does open March 10th and runs through June, so I I still think that there's going to be uh, one more player at least they're going to come in during that window. A big player, a, probably a DP-level player. They do have an open DP. I think they'll try and get somebody on the offensive end to fill that spot. They have two open roster spots, maybe even more depending on loans. So there there's some things they can do to get in some at least one more player, I think, uh, perhaps two with, with one of those being a bottom-of-the-roster player. But the, the big one will be, I, I still believe, a top-of-the-roster player in that window. The other reason there's not a lot of news going on right now is because of the big storm, of course. I hope everybody is staying safe and warm out there uh, and and not having too much problems with the cold and the pipes and all that kind of stuff. I know the the, block, the blackouts are terrible, but um, hopefully everyone is safe and getting through that. There was two uh, losses in the F.C. Dallas Committee this week. I'm sad to report uh, Stephen Stone was the first one who was a member of the... Dallas beer guardians for the long time. And as I did not know him personally, but he, I knew of him as an FC Dallas fan as a huge FC Dallas fan. And as a member of the community, Uh, many people have responded to his passing online. And from the signs, it seems like he was a terrific guy and I'm sure that he will be missed by those that loved him. And I as miss him as a member of the soccer community because he was a big figure for the FC Dallas supporters and the supporters club. The other passing is Mike Renshaw who I am happy to say, was a friend of mine. I considered him a friend. He's a former Dallas Tornado player, uh, a great Dallas Tornado player, a Texas legend as far as I'm concerned, big in the youth community, and um, recently had been coaching uh, some girls' soccer. But he and uh, he and uh, Kenny Cooper Sr. were best pals, and, and they were hanging around FC Dallas all the time. I sort of first became aware of Mike in person during the kenny cooper era but he was around way before that um in terms of the way the community worked before in the early days of soccer with uh, lots of bulletin boards and message boards and he was relatively famous in that context and and he was a and once i got to know him as a person he was a joyful person loved to share his ideas and talk about soccer i learned immense amounts from him and from kenny cooper senior just a wonderful, wonderful guy, and uh, I'm going to miss him. And I'm gonna, every time I go around SC Dallas now, I'm going to think about him just like I, I think about Bobby Ryan every time I run SC Dallas because people that influence your life and what you do are few and far between. And just like Bobby Ryan, Mike Renshaw was a person that heavily influenced me and taught me a lot, and I'm going to miss him because he was a joyful person and a, and a, and a, a person I love to talk to, and I'm going to miss those discussions. Just to loop back to the Soccer 90 stuff, uh, we're expecting a jersey sponsor drop to happen in the next week. Uh, shortly after that, sometime, we should see a new jersey drop, the new secondary jersey drop we're due for. Those are really the only big news items that we're expecting prior to the start of spring training, which will be early in March. And hopefully, we'll be able to cover that as much as we can, given the logistics of the pandemic, we won't be able to go to practice, I'm assuming, since the same protocols are still in place. But hopefully we'll be able to get to see some scrimmages on tape or at least talk to some people and find out what's going on. It'll be interesting to see how spring training reporting goes. It's gonna be a period of less information I imagine, but I'm hopeful I'm hopeful that we can get some good coverage. All right, let's bring in today's special guest Uh, and I I want to tell you guys that he is indeed special this is probably one of the hottest people with FC Dallas. His name is constantly brought up, admired, sought after. I'm telling you, hot, hotter than hot. And that is Eddie Coton, social media coordinator at FC Dallas. Eddie, welcome to Third Degree, the podcast.
0: That is such an unwarranted introduction. All oh. I, do, I literally
1: just tweet, Buzz, that's <laughs> all I do. Let me tell you, my friend, you're maybe not by name, but I have seen more people in social media say, oh, my gosh, what is going on with the FC Dallas Twitter account or whatever account? And since you've come on, and no offense to your predecessor, who I quite liked, great guy. But since you have come on, things are quite different. So don't sell yourself short that uh, you've done some remarkable things and should be commended for everything you're doing over there at FC Dallas.
0: Well, I appreciate that. And uh, I really do appreciate the fans that appreciate me. And I think
1: the people I work with appreciate me. Well, let's let's be specific, uh, Eddie. What does your job entail? Now, I know you're the social media coordinator, but I don't do that. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what that is. What, it's Twitter, Instagram, sure, right? Apps. What, what other hats do you wear in terms of the, the, the communications division? PR, marketing, uh, videos, do you write? What all does social media coordinator mean?
0: Uh, well, first of all, uh, I pretty much have uh, creative control when it comes to all of our social media platforms, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, which I, I use minimally at the moment, but we're working on that. Um, and with that, it comes a lot of ideation, uh, a lot of strategy that people don't probably don't think I do because a lot of the stuff seems like it comes off the cuff, but a lot of planning and prep and advancement. And then when it comes to communication, and a lot of it is just coordination and making sure I'm on the same page with when our press releases are going out, when our information is coming out, and making sure that when I hear about information, I take the time to make sure it's disseminated in the right way. I mean, you'll notice that anytime we have a big announcement, I don't want to make it just the press release, but I also want to make sure it's also serious. So I we include videos that are serious, but then we find a way to meme it And make it a joke and it's my job to take what communications gives me and that information and disseminate it out in a way that people can accept it, appreciate it,
1: and value it more than they did before. Now, how involved are you with the media itself? Do you, Are you involved with the videos? I, I, certainly, you're not a photographer, but um, do you edit? Do you, At what point does, do you get the content? And then, of course, you're adding some kind of social spin to these things, obviously. So there's some part in the process where you become involved.
0: Correct. So um, we have a marketing team. Um, they're involved with more big branding moments. Um, that includes... Uh, big announcements from jerseys or uh, graphics. But when it comes to the day-to-day, um, I'm at the practice field, of, at facility every day. Uh, once they're back in the facility, I'm taking those photos. Uh, I'm giving the photos to the players and making sure that their socials are all clean. Uh, I take a special interest making sure that their branding makes sense. Uh, I think the person I'm kind of closest to with on that is Tanner and making because I know he really cares about trying to establish himself as a potential brand moving forward and so I work with him uh on copy and on photos and then I do some video editing um I'm not an expert obviously at it uh I'm a little young to have developed all those skills but uh I fill in where it's needed and if I see a moment at practice and I have a camera with me I'll shoot video I'll edit it put it together and yeah I I have a a hat in everything where I can, just because, I mean, there's opportunity here to do that. And I don't think it makes sense to have a social strategy that doesn't include great imagery, great video, and also witty, dumb
1: memes. Now, we always like to ask people um, that we bring onto the podcast where they got their love for soccer. But I think it's important with you actually first to ask if you're actually a soccer fan or is this just not just a job or is, it, is this a job or are you a soccer fan?
0: It's an interesting question because for a lot of people, it is a job. Um, for me, uh, I grew appreciate an appreciation for soccer when I was in college. Um, I went to school at Indiana University. So it's the arguably the best soccer program in the country in regards to history, the most national champions, um, and I was very close with them. Um, there's some guys that are in the league now, like Andrew Gutman I'm close with, Um, Jack Mayer, I had a relationship with him. And working with them, doing play-by-play broadcasting and covering their media, I fell more deeply in love with soccer and just what makes it tick. And then getting to work at FC Dallas, it all really kind of clicked more than it hadn't before. And I mean, it's weird because I didn't have too much of an affection for MLS. And now I could probably tell you, like too much about a 13 year old academy kid and his tactics. So (laughs) you fall in love when you're in it. Yeah, I know you can. That's, that's your expertise. Um, but yeah, that's, I've fallen more in love with soccer as I've done this job.
1: Well, that's a good question. A good answer, because the question we usually do ask is when that spark caught for you, uh, for whoever we're interviewing in your case, obviously you, you saying it happened at Indiana. Um, now, I will nitpick you a tiny bit that Indiana used to be the biggest soccer program in the United States. Yeah, it certainly historically is a phenomenal powerhouse. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, under Jerry Yeagley. so it's, um, you know, it's certainly a hell of a program. Don't get me wrong; I'm not trying to belittle him. I'm just like it has fallen off a skosh, you know, in the in the Fair. current I- I- era under his son, who's not quite for some reason the same pole, but nonetheless a Big Ten powerhouse historically and still probably in every way that matters uh, the question of where soccer is in college sports today is a whole nother podcast. that could literally go for hours. So you mentioned IU. So what, what, um, did you study at Indiana university that led you into social, uh, media and how did you, matter of fact, how did you get into social media?
0: Um, well I went to Indiana if for business, I uh, got a marketing degree. And I always knew I wanted to do something in sports. Um, Originally, like when I was like six years old, I wanted to be like a GM of a a franchise. And that was dumb. Um, Then I wanted to be an agent. And then I realized you have to go to law school. That's dumb. And so eventually settled on wanting to do some sort of digital media or content. And uh, I did a lot of play-by-play broadcasting in college. And... I dabbled a little bit in social media, but it wasn't something that special for me. It was just something I, like, made jokes on my own personal Twitter account. And then when it became time to apply for a job, uh, if you wanted to work in sports, you learned very quickly that it's not easy to get a job. So I applied to about 115 jobs uh, out of college, and I landed one at Ohio State, actually, which was really interesting. Transferring over from one Big Ten school to another. Right. And it was social media intern. And that's where I quickly learned that I was good at this. And there was freedom to take chances and take risks on social media that weren't there from just general marketing and or from being a, a broadcaster. You can't take any risks doing that. And I had fun and I embraced it. And then the next thing you know, COVID hits. And I texted uh, Michael Ramirez, the former social media coordinator here. I asked him if there were any jobs in MLS because I was just, I assumed I was going to be unemployed for a good six months or so. And he was like, Yeah, I know of one. Uh, mine. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> and, and within two weeks, I was hired, and it's been all uphill since then.
1: Yeah, I, I do want to give credit to Michael. He is a great dude, and I really did enjoy the things he was doing, and he got the media account going in the right direction, you've just taken it to another level. I, I don't, I don't mean to imply that he wasn't doing a great job because he was.
0: Oh, absolutely. And I mean, part of it is because I spent a year at Ohio State where I kind of studied the market. And I think that's a good deal of my job is my ability to read the room and learn from other people's mistakes and other people's ways of doing social media. Because I spend like... All my days where I'm not tweeting or I'm not gathering content, I'm looking at what other teams are doing and what I like about what they're doing and what I think they're doing wrong. And so like I feel like at this point, I'm just mentally trained to out-tweet anybody in my way if I have to, which is, which is why it's really fun to tweet at Houston or any other rival.
1: Oh, yeah. I can imagine. Uh, that does bring up the question then. Do you have a general strategy like that you've identified for how you go about what you do?
0: Yes. Um, From a strategy standpoint, it's about highlighting certain, I mean, this is a marketing term, KPIs, certain metrics and selling points that we have. So what makes you an FC Dallas fan? What makes you fall in love with FC Dallas? What is it about FC Dallas that differentiates us from every team in the league? And right now it's our academy. Right now I think it's the personalities on our team because I think we have an incredibly wholesome group of players and part of that has to do with their age and how young they are. But we have players that it's so easy to attach yourself to them. Like guys like Tanner Testen, pa- Tass- Tanner Testman and Paxton Pomichal are guys that you want to root for. And Jimmy Maurer, like those guys. So it, my strategy is based around how do I amplify them, amplify their personalities, And also when I'm looking to come up with copy, which is like captions for tweets and Instagrams, I'm thinking of what is the youthful tone that would be more appropriate with our academy kids. Like when I tweet, I think, you know, if Ricardo Pepe said something similar, would that be weird? And it hopefully wouldn't. And part of the approaches and strategy is also understanding our fan base Uh, understanding that we have a very self-deprecating fan base and kind of leaning into it and acknowledging that and being realistic with our approach to things. But it's all down to understanding what we are and also understanding what our target market wants.
1: How much of a free reign do they give you, does FC Dallas give you to do whatever you'd like on social media?
0: Um, I would say 99%. Free wow.
1: reign at this point.
0: Uh, it's a trust thing where, like, I know what's too far. And I am willing to take risks, but I'm also smart enough to take a step back and realize what's too far. Uh, I think I realized that about a month in when we I had my, like, second game experience. And uh, that was obviously the rain delay game when right. things got wonky. And I think our social presence got a little risky and rather instead of that being approached as if it was a weird day for us, people really latched on to what we did during the rain delay. And from, I think, that moment on, I think people that I work with realize what I'm doing is working. And so they've given me a lot of freedom. And if I think something's a little risky, I'll text it to one person and be like, should I do this? And 80 to 90% of the time I get the okay. But I have pretty much free reign.
1: So what does on a non-game day take us through like a typical sort of social media manager kind of thing? What kinds of things are you doing on non-game days?
0: Non-game days? Um, are you talking off-season or are you talking in the season?
1: It can be in-season or off-season, either one. I mean, I, I think for, for the most part, a lot of people, like people joke, oh, what are the interns doing on the Twitter account, right? Yeah. Or whatever, you know, but clearly not. Clearly it's a real thing. This day and age for sure it is. I mean, maybe it was an intern 15 years ago, you know, when I first made my account probably was, but you know, so a lot of people don't even know what, what does a social media, not in the game context, but in a general context, what are you doing on a day-to-day basis as a social media manager?
0: Well, a lot of it is one, you're either gathering content or you're planning ahead. Um, So we've got a content calendar that I like play around with and tweak around with that is pretty much a month in advance at all times. Um, so I could tell you uh, everything we're gonna put on social next week on the on a Wednesday. Um, right now during the off season, obviously it's minimal because I adamantly believe if you have nothing important to say, then don't say anything. If we don't tweet for five days, I don't think it's a big deal because like what were we gonna say that was cool and that mattered? Um, but I have everything planned out, and it's my off my days off are spent planning that and scheduling that stuff out. In addition to going to practice which will take at least two to three hours of my time and taking pictures, um, editing those photos, sending those photos out, and then being a part in planning meetings, ideation for some of our bigger projects. Uh, And you kind of mix that all together to make it one whole position that's constantly uh, doing something at all times. And then during a game is just hectic chaos.
1: Yeah, was that was the next question? Was what is game days like? I assume there's that you have help and there's a team of some kind, not just you doing everything. Maybe you are, but yeah, <laughs> correct.
0: There's um, we have marketing um, that helps with taking in-game photo. And I'm on the road. Uh, obviously, our travel party is cut down pretty small because of COVID. So that's when I just have like one man band taking photos, tweeting, and putting everything on social all at the same time, um, which is chaos um it's it's to me like i describe it as like a like as if you're taking your sat you're just zoned in for like 90 minutes straight um not trying to miss a moment try and capture everything um but when we're at home uh we have people that take photos um and capture in-game video so that's supportive of what i'm trying to do and so i'm just when i'm at home i'm just literally watching the game and trying to pick my moments on what's right um obviously everything that kind of leads up to the game is more planned out but i'm just trying to watch the game and try and find where my angle is um if there's nothing going on it's trying to find a way to keep people intrigued um trying to push it towards well nothing's happened yet but it might yeah um but like if there's a certain moment that happens that starts to tell and unravel the story of the game. I try and find the right images and the right captions and the right way to portray that in a way that keeps you engaged.
1: Now, back in September, uh, you tweeted on your personal account that FC Dallas had gained the third most Twitter followers in MLS through those three months. Now I'm assuming that you do some kind of as an organization or perhaps even for yourself, that you do some kind of self-review to look back and see what works and doesn't work. So have you been able to identify, well, at least certainly early on what it was that you were doing that led to such a meteoric explosion for the FC dial social media?
0: Um, yeah. Uh, I think a lot of it is analyzing what we were putting out there that didn't really give us any value. Um, Cause like what I say, I think it's important that if you have nothing to say of value, don't say anything at all. Um, and then, I mean, a lot of it came from me going directly to our target markets. Like, so we gained a great deal of following from my approach with the Dallas stars. And I think there's a lot of connections between those two fan bases. Cause if you're going to be a soccer fan in the United States of America, you have to have something that's a little different about you. I would say the same thing about hockey a little bit less so, but there's definitely some correlation. So being able to analyze the fact that if we're engaging with the stars, we're going to find ourselves with new fans. And I think that worked really well for us. And we took a very unique approach to that. So that itself helped us during that three month period. But I mean, I look back at the metrics last week and over my nine month span, we're still fourth in the league in follower growth. Um, and now we're, turning upward again on Instagram now, which is kind of my new main focus point. Uh, And we're on our way upward there. And it's just having a personality that is different, uh, that people can feel like they can at least relate to in some facet that's kind of worked for us. And also it's been the storylines FC Dallas has had. I mean, Brian Reynolds alone, I think we had about 8 million impressions on Twitter in a day, which, I mean, that's just meteoric numbers in social media for a soccer team. So being able to embrace the big news that's coming out of FC Dallas and the great things we're doing has been super helpful for, all, for our growth. Um, but yeah, that's that's really what it is.
1: Now, you mentioned uh, having sort of an identifiable style, uh, and I would say that there's a level of snark, that's the word I would use, in your style. Certainly, uh, you mentioned the interaction with the stars, that interaction with other clubs is certainly a big part of your style, at least in the sense of, I've never seen Dallas do that before really in a positive mm-hmm. way like, it, like you have. Um, is, this, is this methodology or this style that you have, did you just sort of fall into it or is it an extension of just who you are as a person or is or this cultivated over time, this system, this set methodology?
0: Um, I think it partly would be who I am. Um, what I said before about embracing our fan base and acknowledging that our fan base is very self-deprecating. I think if I were to grow up and not be a social media manager, but just be an MLS fan, I think I personally would fit really well into the mold of an FC Dallas fan in that manner. Um, Because I'm a snarky, self-deprecating, annoying human being and i'll take out the annoying yeah yeah buzz so we we align really well and i think i align appropriately with our audience in a way that allows me to be myself when approaching things with fc dallas and a lot of what the way it was cultivated was being snarky realizing people like that and it worked and then just continuing it because there, that's job works in continuing it. So that's kind of where it comes from. But I think it stems from the fact that our audience and our, our fan base is also snarky, self-deprecating
1: and fits that mold. So how do you as an individual and as an organization, how do you guys measure success in social media? Is it just as simple as hits engagements, or is there some, uh, greater, um, I don't, maybe metric is the wrong word. Is there some greater target that you're looking for uh, in, in terms of pay, not maybe not even payoff is the right word? I'm not even sure how you would measure it beyond just engagements.
0: I think there's there's multiple things you can look at. But when you like siphon down the main goal of my job, it is to get you to like FC Dallas enough that maybe you buy tickets to a game, or you buy merchandise, or you have a more enriched experience as a fan, so you're more willing and inclined to invest in us as a team. Um, It's very hard to measure that right now because we're in a pandemic. So what I am looking at as what is success then would be sentiment and engagement. So you're looking at how often we're able to get people to reply to us, engage with us, because what that says is these are fans looking for more from FC Dallas that are interested by FC Dallas, that are part of the fan base and dedicated. So if we increase those numbers, that's a success. And then you're looking at sentiment. Like part of the personality of FC Dallas social media is it creates this idea of how you think of it. FC Dallas, where let's say we lose, you are less likely to be that extremely frustrated with us and come at us on Twitter or on Instagram with negative messages because you've started to at least appreciate the personality of the team. If we were super bland on Twitter, it's so easy for, like, let's say we lose a game, for you to just attack the Twitter account. But because we've established this sense of personality, you're able to look at the sentiment of our engagements. You're able to realize that people are less inclined to be on the attack mode because they at least have more of this enchantment
1: with FC Dallas as a club and the personality of the club. You know, determining success is something that I'm always interested in. um, Because of being a similar kind of thing, I'm trying to build an audience through word of mouth completely. There's no advertising budget here at Third Degree. So I'm curious... Um, what it is that in any given tweet or any given little campaign, um, where does a thing have to fall to be deemed a success or a failure? Like what, what do you throw out there? That Not what did you throw out, but when you throw something out that falls flat, what, what to you constitutes falling flat, you know, and versus that success. Um, Is it as simple as a number?
0: Sadly enough. Yeah uh if because i'm i am a very competitive person and i like to look at the metrics that's why i highlight it uh when i highlighted it three months into the job and why i still look at it right because i want to be the best at what i do um so we have an average engagements per thousand followers number and well we have an average engagement number which is like 220 now it used to be at about 80 so our average engagements per tweet is at about 220. And obviously we have some outliers, some stuff that goes semi-viral in the soccer space. But generally the average comes down to about 220. So I look at the numbers and I say, if the engagement's over 200, I it was successful. And if it was under, I need to figure out why. Like obviously there are certain things we have to put out there that won't hit those numbers. Like if we're talking about foundation-based stuff or certain press releases that is just news that has to get out there, it won't hit that. So I don't, I don't really judge that, but any time out there with a joke or uh, some sort of video or some sort of content that we put an effort into, I look at 220. If it hits 220, I was successful, and if it doesn't, I feel like I did something wrong, and I,
1: I have to reevaluate. So this is two questions in one question. What is the most successful thing you've done, and what is the most viral thing that you've done? Those are two different things in my mind.
0: Okay. Um, or do you consider them the same? No, it's very different. Very different. I mean, arguably one of our most viral tweets was me tweeting in the replies, uh, my parents aren't proud of me. Uh, um, and, <laughs> well done. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. and like that, you can't deem that a success. Um, <laughs> it's a win. That, it, it's it's a win, but I don't think it's... It, yeah. It's like my most successful thing I've ever done. I did that purely because I didn't think it was going to go viral. I really didn't. I thought that was going to be the most average tweet on earth. It would get, like, 30 likes, and people would be like, ha-ha, social media manager. But that just blew up for no reason. and I I, I didn't think about it, and, and I also, like, with that, learned that I don't like using the word I anymore, so mm-hmm. I've taken that out of our vernacular um, to make sure that I the social media manager is out of the personality of the brand um i know other teams do it and that's fine with them that's just not our approach um because i want everything we say to sound like it's fc dallas not that it's eddie the guy controlling fc dallas's account but we've had some viral moments other than that i mean everything to do with brian reynolds was viral every time i tweeted about Messi went viral um tweeting at fab went viral easily and i just knew it would it's just like easiest thing in the world. my favorite tweet of all time is when uh, we quote tweeted Houston Dynamo, and uh, when they said the nightmare was being in Frisco, and we said the nightmare was being in eleventh place because that was just a softball. Like that should have never happened. <laughs> yeah. Um, like I was really proud of that one, but like there was a bunch of moments that went viral that like I wouldn't deem as like success points. Like I think our success points are are still upcoming with how we're planning to. Approach our upcoming Jersey release and the branding behind that, the branding behind our story this year from a marketing department is great. Um, And I think the ways uh, I approached Brian Reynolds all season was a big success. I think because it showed that our fan base can latch onto things and can grow things and spread things in a way. Like those are bigger successes to me.
1: Yeah, I, I know what you mean about success versus viral. I mean, our, our biggest uh, traffic is the same way. It's been Brian Reynolds of late. The most successful thing we've ever done, really, or I've ever done, was when I used to do F- uh, MLS draft stuff. That was the thing that really probably built the most significant part of my reputation. And my most viral tweet of all time was a photo of the Olympic ski jump that is actually a soccer stadium. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen that picture. That Mm -hmm. thing was the thing I've done that's got retweeted and engaged the most. And it's nothing to do with FC Dallas. It's just kind of funny how that works. Um, Mm -hmm. You mentioned earlier Tanner Tanner and and Paxton. I'm not going to ask you who your favorite player is, but and you maybe have already sort of asked this, because what I was going to ask you was, is there a player that is the easiest to work with that really relishes a chance to do social media and almost seems excited for it in a way? Because some guys kind of don't come across as like, oh my God, I got to do this again. And then other guys seem like they're just super hyped for it.
0: Oh, it's Tanner Testman by like a mile. Uh, he is, he's also like, he dude like looks like a model and... And I don't say that, like, I don't try to be weird with that statement, but, like, he is just so photogenic. It makes life super easy. Uh, and he's, like, it's like, six foot tall, like, former football wannabe player or whatever. And so he's just a marketing genius, and he wants to be involved in social media, and he gets it. Brian Reynolds was great to work with um, just because he embraced the Big Bad Brian thing. Um, and he understood my value, um, I think, which is really the key thing. Like players that understand my value, make my like make this job better. Um, so the, those are guys that get it and understand like the potential revenue I can generate for them. Like I can promise you, I think I had some. I have some sort of impact on Brian Reynolds' marketing campaigns moving forward. Like just help. Like I'm not gonna say I take any credit. Like I I think 0.01 percent of it though is helping his brand and helping him on social media. Uh. So those are the kind of guys that make it really easy to work with. And like some guys, it'll just never be a thing that's needed for them. And that's okay. That's not the way they work. But the guys that get it, like what it can do for them financially, make my job a lot easier. And it, it's super fun. Also, the guys understand the difference between me and PR or me and media. Uh, Cause like when I ask them to do something, they know it's going to be stupid. So they're more willing <laughs> to do it. Right. Um, they immediately get it. Like when I walk in the room, they're like, oh, okay, something dumb's going to happen. So right. it makes my life a lot easier too.
1: The expression we use for Tanner is grown ass man, which you not being around yeah. long enough is actually a reference back to Eddie Johnson, who was a f- former mm-hmm. United States player. He was here the re- where it comes from is he, when he played here, somebody asked him what video games he was into. And he said, I don't play video games. I'm a grown ass man. And <laughs> since, so we started calling him GAM G-A-M grown ass man all the time. And then when Tanner came along, you just, I know what you mean. He looks like a linebacker six foot two and and stacked. And you're like, that dude is at 16. He was a grown ass man, you know? So that's how we use that expression. So what's the flip side of that then? I don't, maybe you don't want to air anybody out, but is there anybody that's like, that just cannot stand social media and it runs the other way when they see you coming?
0: Uh, it wouldn't be like social media in specific, but it would be like doing interviews. It's just not their preference and part of their job. Um, but like, it's not always fun for certain people. Certain people are very quiet people. Um, so they try and do it less, and we try and be very specific about what players we give out to the media, uh, just knowing that there are certain guys that don't have an interest in it. So unless, like, they have, a, like, a reason to talk, like if someone scores 17 goals in two minutes, like, they're going to talk, obviously. Um, so there are guys like that, and some of them are guys that are, like, more, I mean... The older you get, the less social media matters to you Um, because you have a family and you understand soccer is your job and you're not looking at endorsements too much or or branding or being on social media all the time. So I get it with that. Um, Either way, every guy loves it when I send them photos. No one will never not like that. So they're cool with that all the time.
1: How about Lucci Gonzalez? Does he embrace the social media? I mean, he's gone viral a little bit with the sweaters and the whatever else he's doing. Do you have to push him a little, or does he get on board with it?
0: Yeah, Lucci gets it, um, but I never thought he did because uh, I don't think he. I never thought he was on Twitter or Instagram or anything like that because um, I I just didn't think he was, and I obviously say some dumb stuff on there, so. I was always surprised he never said anything about it um, because I feel like there are certain things if I was the head coach, I'd be like, that's a dumb tweet, Eddie. You should, you should probably not do that. <laughs> no. But he, um, oddly enough, uh, I found out that I guess he has some sort of knowledge of what I do uh, when he texted me like a week before the playoffs at like 9.30 at night. He just, out of the blue, sent me two videos of him dancing with his kids and was like, here's an update to the Lucha Gang video. And I was flabbergasted. Like I just had no clue that he even knew I did that. Like I thought I was going for like two months straight tweeting videos of Luchi dancing with him having no clue. But it turns out he was well aware. Um, I know the way he approaches me as a person. um, He definitely respects what I do. Uh, He definitely knows that I'm liked in the locker room. So that helps a bit. And he also knows I never bother him unless I have to which I think is his favorite thing about me. Um, But there are times when we'll show him videos before we post them to make sure that they're under his approval. And so he gets the need to put some behind-the-scenes footage out there and show insight into what our team is like. He gets that part. And also, I mean, we're both Peruvian-Americans, so there's that connection there. So he's Mm. always had some sort of level of respect for me because of that. And so, yeah, Luchi gets me at least and gets my job. And he does understand Lucci Gang somehow. Um, so I, he's pretty invested in a good enough manner for a coach.
1: I've always felt that uh, the, the area in which the team could have the most impact on a general level, on a macro level, is um, with things that are proprietary to the club, the behind the scenes videos the interaction with players and coaches that they can get that are different. Like the, you say the little jokes, whatever else you're putting together. Um, would you agree with that assessment that that sort of, uh, that peak behind the curtain, if you will, is a thing that really appeals to people.
0: Correct. Uh, we get that. Um, we try to do it where we can. Obviously you have to be very situational with that. Um, also, I mean, part of that has to do with bandwidth, um, which we're working on. Uh, because, I mean, we had a discussion before the podcast about, I mean, me having to wear a lot of hats. A lot of people having to wear a lot of hats. Um, it's something we are focused on doing more on this season. Um, but there are like our behind the scenes reasons why sometimes you can't do certain things. Of course, but we we understand that behind the scene behind the scenes content itself is extremely valuable and helps people get a better understanding for Lucci and the way he works and the way he coaches and the relationships between our guys. And I try and show it as much as I can. And that has been very helpful for us whenever we have done it, because people at least have an appreciation for Lucci, his style of coaching and the the method
1: to how he does things. Now, without being judgmental or harsh in any way, I think it's fair to say that FC Dallas as an organization does perhaps not spend as much money in marketing as some other teams in MLS might. You know, they're not in New York City or LA. You know, they, they don't have the budget of some other teams. I don't I don't think that's critical. I think that's true. So uh, given that um, situation where this club maybe perhaps relies on social media more than a cl- other clubs might in that balance sheet, do you, do you find it difficult to try to be building audience and, and marketing the team w- without some of the support that other people in the league might be getting in terms of just money spent on marketing.
0: Well, I don't think that impacts me as an individual. Um, And I mean, I'm not at Liberty to discuss that kind of stuff behind the scenes. What I am at the Liberty to discuss is I take my job from the perspective of I'm going to work with what's in front of me. Um, Like I think we've made massive gains uh, in regards to one sentiment around our team because of social media uh, sentiment from different sports fans in Dallas, like the Dallas stars, um, and U S men's national team fans in general, because what we've done with our Academy and that's grown our audience and that, that itself is indicative of some sort of marketing success and outreach. Um, but uh, we, I also have a clear understanding, the reason we have the personality we do is we have to stand out if we're going to succeed because we're the fifth biggest sport in Dallas. And I get that, and I keep it in mind when I do what I do. Um, But we we work with what we have.
1: Let's say, um, not even for the sake of argument, let's just say that Dallas has had, FC Dallas has had some difficult moments in the last year, whether it be COVID or whether it be the anthem stuff, rain delay stuff. You know, I I don't think I'm being unfair when I say those moments have been difficult. I'm not going to get into the whatever side of anything that's not what I care about what I care about is how things are dealt with and so I would imagine that as a consequence of some of these moments regardless of anyone's fault or not that FC Dallas I can see them in fact gets a lot not a lot but gets harsh replies at times I can only imagine that the direct messages are worse um, I have two sort of ideas that I would like to ask you in regard to this, and you can talk about it as much as you're comfortable with is one, is there sort of an organizational philosophy? You don't have to say what it is, but do you have an organizational philosophy about how to cope with things such like that? And then also just as a person, does it affect you? Do you get hit by that? When you see that stuff, do you, does it affect you as a person, not as an employee, but as a person?
0: Um, What do you mean by organizational philosophy in that question?
1: Well, I mean, is there a plan like we do or don't respond to this or that? Do we have, do we give answers? Do we ignore? Do we block? Do we mute? I don't, I don't even want you to specifics, get into specifics other than to say like, you know, is it, is there a bigger picture there in the organization knowing that perhaps some of these kind of things are out there, right? Do you have a tailored response or not? You know, um, you don't have to tell me what it is. I'm just curious if, if you guys think about these things in terms of I don't know, putting out fires or responding to some things that are uh, beyond the pale. I mean, some of the stuff is unbelievable. You know, I, I, I see it. I can't help but see it, you know. And then the mm-hmm. other side, as I said, was as a, as a person, does it affect you?
0: Well, I think you always have to ask the question of who is replying? Who is the one attacking? Uh, what type of person is attacking? Um, is it a dedicated fan? that is a season ticket holder? Or are they just a random racist? Uh, or a random aggravated um, person in, in whatever sphere? That's where you have to ask the question. A person who's just a random racist will never warrant a response from me. And potentially based on me looking into the account like a block or uh, like a mute or whatever. Um, but if it's a dedicated fan, I will take that information and either I will personally reach out to them on my own personal account and have an open conversation about what they feel their frustrations come from, or I'll send it to people that can have those conversations. And we're incredibly willing to have those conversations with the right people. Um, I think what happened earlier in the season was a lot of outcry from, radicals all across all spheres of the world mostly our country and so they weren't warranting a reply um so my approach is very specific to who gives that uh reaction now me as a person um during different times of the year I don't think my mental health was at like peak performance um but working this job and working in social media in general, because I think another thing that goes unnoticed is like, this does happen to other teams and it does happen to other social media managers, especially in a year like 2020 or 2021. Um, you slowly grow kind of immune to it in a way, like it still hits, but it doesn't hit the same. I know like it's been hard, um, based on the situation and based on what I see. And I think a lot of it also I take with a grain of salt, like it's not directed at me. Where the pain comes from is like knowing that there's someone with this kind of anger in the first place um, and knowing that this ex- like kind of anger exists. Um, but yeah, you kind of just teach yourself to take it all with a grain of salt. I mean, me personally, I've tried to now dedicate more personal time to myself where I'm off social media, um, trying to, focus on that nine to five and after five o'clock trying to get off. Um, and that's been better. But yeah, it's not easy, but you just kind of get used to it.
1: Speaking of support, um, how does the interaction work with other social media managers inside MLS um, or even other teams? Is there is there a behind the scenes avenue for you to reach out to People, whether it be in the market or whether it be in other markets, is there any level of, but both in terms of support, in terms of like perhaps how to deal with such things, maybe from the league even, you know, but also just in terms of a coordination with some of these things, or do you just direct message somebody and hope that they're willing to get on board with you?
0: Uh, Yeah, I think part of the problem was COVID, um, being that I took this job when like in the middle of a pandemic, which is so dope, like that's awesome. Uh, moving to Dallas in the middle of the pandemic. <laughs> I uh, bet, yeah. Yeah, nothing better than that. Um. So I think a lot of those relationships stem from, like, league meetings or some sort of conferences and some such. So now, since it's all digital, I mean, I've established, like, isolated relationships with people that I think appreciate my methodology on social. Um, Like, Minnesota has a very similar approach to what we do. Uh, and their kind of relaxed style, and so like I've I've appreciated them, and like I've had conversations with like Nashville's social media manager because we're very similar people, but they're very like small instances that I think would be better uh, if we were in a post COVID world. Um, I mean, there's avenues to reach out, but it's not like I've taken much of them. Um, so yeah, I don't. I I really have no idea how other teams look at FC Dallas on social media, whether they think we're doing a good job or whether they think we're just complete idiots that don't get it. Um, and I think about that often. I always wonder, um, but I just have to consistently tell myself, like, I know FC Dallas is doing things the way I think they should be done, whether other teams agree with it or other people agree with it. I, I don't, I don't have the time to think about
1: it. How much uh, contact have you ever had with ownership with Dan and Clark, I do, have they given you a thumbs up? Do you have you never interacted with them? Do you hear from them all the time?
0: I think my best my best story about Dan's knowledge of our social media usage because I mean he's he doesn't need to be involved too much with it. He knows I do a good job and he's supportive of me. Um, and I have conversations with him uh, here and there, but I think it was right, it was after the rainlight game that uh, I talked to him. And the second I talked to him, I thought that was a bad sign because, I mean, I took some dumb risks and I told people my parents weren't proud of me. Um, but he, he actually told me about how in their league owner's call, uh, I came up, uh, which, I mean, that sentence alone just doesn't make any sense to me. But mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I came up because they were all just checking in to make sure that I was okay. Um so like I always just picture that as like Robert Kraft thinking about my mental health which is like a crazy <laughs> <Yeah>. thought. <laughs>
1: that is a crazy but
0: thought. But yeah, uh that laugh was pretty, about like, it now, right? Yeah. Yeah, laugh <laughs> yeah. about it now, but that's probably like the funniest extent of how much he talks to me about social. He like just kind of trusts me that I know what I'm doing.
1: So c- looking ahead without getting into specifics is there anything that you've got planned coming up that you're super excited about that you could, like, in the vaguest way? Like, I I, you can, I know you're not going to tell me you have a great powder blue jersey rollout coming, but, like, you know, sort of, so what do you have in, on the horizon, you know, for the start of the season or for the jersey rollout or for a sponsor rollout or something that gets you excited about what's coming up from you think, and social media? Yeah.
0: Uh, I think the jersey is exciting. Um, I don't think it's going to be, like, massive uh like from a, like a social planning perspective because i think you'll just let this jersey do the talking um and that's also an important thing to think about from social is like so there are certain moments you just let the moment do the talking uh for you and you let the players start the talking i think that excites me but i mean really what's exciting is like we haven't been able to do much with any of our new guys i think that's what's the most exciting thing because we're in a COVID world. I know like you've brought this up and I think people talk about how we do so many goodbye videos and we don't do much to hype up our transfer signings. Um, and we know that, we are aware of that, as in <laughs> I am definitely very aware of that. And I wanted to take a different approach and would love to take a different approach, but it's really hard to do that when they're not in this country. Um, super hard. Like, I don't understand, like literally San Jose, like they signed a guy from Chivas and they hired a videographer in Mexico to shoot a video of like his signing. And I was like, yeah, like that is such an extreme to take during COVID, but you have to take it if you want to do something cool. Um, so when they do get here, uh, I'm excited and getting to do content with Jose and, and hot air and, and Freddie. Um, and the hope and aspiration down the road when we're in a post-COVID world is we can actually hype up these signings appropriately. Because, I mean, we're, we're, we do as much as anyone can when they're not in this country.
1: Yeah, I'm hoping the Darth, the Darth Jader thing takes off.
0: <laughs> I mean, I could try and push it. I, I, can, I really can. I mean, well, Big
1: Bad Brian went crazy. That was a good one. Yeah, yeah,
0: and I mean, that only happened because I saw it in our replies from like three meme kids. Yeah. That and the next thing you know, I just embraced it and it stuck. So I, I mean, I could try and work with Darth Hader. I have to get approval <laughs> from him first. Of
1: course. <laughs>
0: uh, Big Bad Brian was an easy approval.
1: Yeah. Uh, speaking of Brian, that leads me to think of the general philosophy and organization of the academy to the, um, you know, the first team North Texas Soccer Club too. You know, you mentioned it a couple of times earlier, but that kind of organizational top to bottom thing is interesting to me. So, how much involvement do you have with? North Texas Soccer Club and the FC Dallas Academy and even FC Dallas Youth in terms of social media. Is there a thread there? Are you involved all the way through? Is there any collective think going on there? Or is each of those things a separate entity?
0: Um, North Texas Social is um, run by Garrett. Um, But I think as our friendship has developed and our relationship as co-workers has developed, I think we bounce ideas off each other. And I think there is a clear plan for I think this upcoming season, for me to be more involved there, knowing that I think North Texas is gonna be very good and have some very talented, interesting players on the team. Um, So yeah, uh, I haven't been too involved, but I can be. And I'm hoping to take advantage of that moving forward with North Texas being such an exciting entity.
1: What about the academy or or youth?
0: Um, That's a bandwidth thing where, I mean, we have people take photos. And I have a lot of academy photos in the archive, but
1: oh, it, I should ask you for some. <laughs> yeah, uh,
0: it's well. The fun part of that is having to. None of them are labeled because, like, no one would label mm. these guys when they're thirteen. I can't even uh, get a roster. Yeah, uh, hard, not yeah. easy. Um, so no, I'm not very involved in the academy because I, I mean, I don't have like 50 bodies. Right. Um, It's just me. So I have the same
1: problem actually. Yeah, It's not easy. (laughs) Manpower is our biggest limited resource because all of us have jobs. Yeah. So speaking of the idea of this pathway and, and one of the guys that's going to be potentially moving from North Texas to FC Dallas is Nikki Hernandez, Mm -hmm. which made me think about um, the draft. And I was curious, I I know Dallas had sort of a draft room. Mm -hmm. So I was curious on a social media end, like, how did that work for you guys? How were you integrated into that room? Um, how active were you looking to be with the draft? Uh, it's just, it's such a different event from any other kind of event. Um, and I find sometimes I find the mechanics of how you do things to be fascinating. So, uh, what was draft day like for you guys?
0: Um, I think that's a, the way we also approach the draft is an ROI thing. Um, I'm, because of bandwidth, I think it's important. And also, fan reception to look at what I think will go well with the fans. So like, I understand not to over exaggerate the draft because I know the value of the draft has decreased over the years. For sure. Um, So like from a social standpoint, we put out like a one minute behind the scenes of Nikki getting a call. And then we put out like the video about Marco, the uh, beyond the pitch that was planned ahead of time. That was an excellent Um, video by the way. Oh thank you i'll I'll let the person know I made it yeah. uh but um other than that, it was just hitting like the picks when they happened, and we were in the room like to grab content if I felt like it was worthy. um I mean, like I was in the room to hear when the picks were going to come and what the thought process was um but we didn't want to overdo the draft because like I don't think the reception like I don't think people care enough, like there are certain people that care a lot. Um, but not enough. So we didn't do too much for it.
1: Yeah. This is not the podcast for that, but the declining value of the draft is a humongous elephant in the room in terms of coverage of the draft. It still has an import and there still is a way to bring assets to the roster. But, you know, 20 years ago, your first round pick was a walk into the room and start for your team. And if he didn't walk into the room and start, you've screwed up big time and your second round pick had a 50, 50 shot to walk into the room and be a starter, you know? So, and now if you're like, if you're not one of the top couple of picks, there's, you have no chance in hell of starting and you're probably going to be way, way down on the bottom of the roster. You might not even make the roster at all. It's just a completely different world, but that's not for this podcast. Um, I did have another thing I wanted to ask you about. You've mentioned studying the market and studying, you know, to take on a job as, as anyone would, Mm -hmm. Are, are there any other, organizations that you mentioned San Jose's you know hiring a shooter are there any other um let's call them not not plans but call them uh, you know programs r- rollouts that other teams have done that really caught your eye and thought oh man that was a really excellent piece of thing like one for me for example would be when LAFC was getting going and they may even still do it they did this bit with the hat where they sent a hat to everybody and the person mm-hmm. would be looking down with the hat and it would say LAFC and they would look up I thought that campaign, like as they continue to do it over and over and over again, really resonated. It was a great bet. So, for you, what, what, what have you admired in other social media teams, uh, even outside of MLS? What, what are some that you particularly have admired?
0: I think I admire different ones for different reasons. Uh, I would point to like Philly has done an incredible job with their personality um, and their approach to things. Um, I mean, their jersey release was great. And I think they get their fan base very well. Um, I think San Jose is incredible from like a visual standpoint. Um, just their videos they put out are, are just so well technically crafted and strategic and I mean I know who runs the show there and he's great. Um, Chicago has the best video team in the league without question. Um, they're the most innovative with their video strategy. Um, but like they're I mean they have a different social presence um than we do but like from a video and graphic standpoint I think they're amazing uh but yeah I think uh there there are certain teams that do things really well that I appreciate I mean I think Instagram for for Orlando has been incredible and their approach to that and how everything kind of looks correlated on there has been great but I a lot of it comes down to like pinpointing certain things. Like there are certain things that I just like and certain things that I don't. It's not always just like a team
1: thing. So two last things, and I'm gonna go the negative first and then the positive. What is the worst thing about your job?
0: Uh, probably the anxiety of it. Um again, like I like to take risks, but I also I mean, I get anxious before doing certain things and cause you are on the internet and everything sticks and everything I do is clearly indicative of where our brand should be going. So if I take a misstep, which I don't think I I've taken a major one, but I always think about it before and after I do it. Um, like there are certain things we haven't put out like intentionally cause I, like I put a hold on it or I got too anxious to put out. I mean, there's one Brian Reynolds video we have that has just been sitting in my, uh, my arsenal that's just completely outrageous like meme content that i'm waiting for the right day
1: to just (laughs) like
0: tweet out and say like hey this is a video we never put out uh but you're gonna have to now (laughs) yeah i'm going to i'm gonna do it because they're like that like there was a lot of effort that was put into that um (laughs) but like yeah i would say the hardest part is the anxiety like especially in game like you've got such little time to think and so like you got to make sure your approach is right and very quickly like I, I'm thankful for the fact that I've established a level of lack of professionalism from our account, <laughs> that if I make a grammatical error, I'm not very judged for it, because uh, people just understand. I think that's part of our shtick, um, but like, even that makes me anxious, like checking grammar like 15 times before I put something on the internet, um, and then the best job is the relationship with people. I mean... Talking to these players and talking to Lucci and, and talking to them, I think it makes the job valuable.
1: Yeah, I totally know what you mean about uh, establishing a brand. I, Typos is my brand. That's how you know it's me. Typos. Well, I mean, It's a, <laughs> it's a good shtick to have. At least if you're consistent with it, people don't judge it as much. Yeah. All right. So here's the very last question, Eddie. What's the one thing about your job that you think people have no idea that you'd love for them to know?
0: Um, that's hard. I mean, I'm an open book. Like, uh, I think it's just like the strategy on these tweets uh, on like all the social, um, just how far in advance I think of the dumb things we put out.
1: Yeah. I just, think people would assume it comes off the cuff and it's yeah, not the case no. at all.
0: I had like a month and a half to prepare for Brian Reynolds, like, Uh, So everything we put out was just dumb ideas that came to me every night for a month and a half and planned out, like, ready to go go and ready to roll. I had, like, 50 ideas written down, and I ran with which ones I thought were the best. So I think it's just understanding that some of these, like, dumb, off-the-cuff moments were
1: way too planned out, like, way too planned out ahead of time. Well, th- that is that raises an interesting question, Eddie. So how far out do you find out about stuff as a team's social media manager?
0: Um, I hear rumbling sometimes. Uh,
1: you read Third Degree, lets you in on the action? I, yeah,
0: I mean, I do. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think Brian was just like an obvious, like you see, you see the rumors and then you're like, you got to at least think about it. Right. Um, and then I was, I mean, fairly kept on the loop on that. Um, but there are certain things that come out of nowhere, like you'll wake up and like be like, Oh wait, we're signing someone in like a day or 2 Oh, yeah. bet. That's cool. Uh, let me go like, look up their transfer market value real quick before I do anything. Um, but yeah, there are certain things I know in advance and some, some things just kind of happen.
1: Well, Eddie, thanks for coming on today. I, I guarantee you there's something I forgot to ask you, and I'm sure someone yes. will tell me, man, I cannot hey. believe you didn't ask him about I, X, Y, or Z. I,
0: I, I'll put this out there. I'm mean, For anyone who's made it an hour of me talking, which I feel like is a regrettable experience, uh, I'm an open book. You can ask me anything, anytime. Just slide in the DMs, and I'll, I'll appropriately answer the question.
1: Well, one day over a beer, you and I can have some discussions about national anthems because I'd, I'd like to learn a little more about some behind-the-scenes but again, thanks for coming on, Eddie. I, I'm I'm glad you were willing to share social media. I find social media fascinating. I think a lot of people out there would have no idea how much work goes into it. And I think you should be commended for the spectacular work you've done. I'm not kidding when I say that I hear discussion about you, not, not your name specifically, but you in the context of FC Dallas more than I hear about even most of, if not all, the players. So you should be commended. I think you're doing an amazing work. And thanks again for coming on the podcast.
0: Thank you, Buzz. Pleasure to, pleasure
1: to be here. Once again, special thanks for Eddie Coten for coming on. I, I'm so fascinated by how the club goes about its business. Uh, it's what we do, right? It's analyze the club top to bottom and try and be objective about it as much as possible. I truly think that the social media uh, has been amazing of late. They've made tremendous strides for a club that in my mind uh, relies heavily on social media and less on traditional marketing spend because they are so budget conscious. The hunts are. Again, they do spend money. They just don't spend it how you or I might wish them to. They don't spend it on the crazy players and they don't spend it on crazy marketing. They put it in big picture, long-term stuff like infrastructure, club, stadium, Hall of Fame, youth club, uh, academy. You know, Maybe they, they don't run that stuff like you or I might want, but they still do it and they put their money where their mouth is, where they think is most important. And so we should give them some amount of credit for that. Once again, Third Degree, the podcast is brought to you by Soccer90, 25% off store-wide for all Third Degree podcast listeners with promo code Degree on Soccer90.com. That's 3-R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E. Just like the podcast and the website, use that promo code, get yourself some yeah. good gear, Soccer90.com. All right, that's it for today's uh, Third Degree, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Again, thanks, Eddie, for coming on. Uh next week we're gonna have a special one hundredth edition of the Degree of the Podcast. We hope you'll come back for that and hopefully you will enjoy it. And we'll see you next week.